in, you see some of their stuff, you know? And I thought it was awesome that Pastor Josh not only has a coffee maker, he has a backup coffee maker. <laughs> I'm like, this man is serious about his coffee, so he's got two. This week, I came across a collection of funny baptism stories as told by struggling pastors. One pastor wrote, I was very young in ministry, and I had the privilege of baptizing a woman who has recently come to know Christ. Everything was as it should be until she came up out of the water. As she walked up the steps out of the baptistry, her hairpiece was hanging on my hand. I didn't quite know what to do with it. Another pastor wrote, I was doing a baptism during the pandemic. We were all wearing masks at the time, and I wasn't thinking about the fact that the woman being baptized still had hers on. As she was coming up from the water, her eyes grew bigger and bigger, and she tried to get her mask off in a hurry. I pretty much waterboarded her. <laughs> Another pastor wrote, when I went to lower the man into the water, I hit his head on the back of the wall. I think we've actually done that here. <laughs> Two friends wanted to be baptized on the same Sunday. When I baptized them, I mixed up their names, and I baptized them by the wrong name. <laughs> and the last one, I dropped him. We all laughed. <laughs> now, these things are so painful. <laughs> They're so painful. But these things wouldn't have been bad if the baptism had just been a, a private, personal event. But it's not, right? Baptism is public, and it's out there for everyone to see. There was a church present. And what a funny thing baptism is, this private expression, this being dipped in water. What is this baptism stuff all about? Let me just talk a little bit about how baptism works at City Life and kind of just how it generally works in the broader church. So at City Life, we bring in a baptistry. We have, we have a tank that we bring in. We fill it with water, and then we immerse you in the water. Your whole body goes in the water, and then you come up again. There are lots of different ways that churches do baptisms. Some churches will do sprinkling of water, where instead of totally being immersed in the water, you just have water sprinkled on you. Some churches will uh, do pouring, where you stand there, and there's a pitcher of water poured over you. And then immersion, like what we have. Those are kind of the three methods of getting water on you to be a, bat to be a baptism. Now at City Life, we have, we're part of the Wesleyan denomination, and we have a, a fairly broad understanding of what baptism is and how it works out in our church. So there would be some denominations that would be very particular about saying, like, baptism has to be done this way or that way. City Life, the Wesleyan church isn't like that. We would say, it doesn't matter how you're baptized. Immersion, sprinkling, pouring, any of those things count. It all counts as baptism. God works in all of those ways. And we also would recognize both infant baptism and believer baptism. So typically, there'd be some churches that would say we only do infant baptism, and some churches that say we only do believer baptism. In the Wesleyan Church, we most frequently practice believer baptism. That's, that's mostly what we do. But we count infant baptism, and we, we receive it as legitimate, valid baptism. Typically, in churches that baptize infants, the, the baby who is baptized then later in life when they're an older child goes through a process called confirmation where they're confirmed in the church, they profess their faith, they say, I believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they, they, have, they profess that they have an understanding of what happened to them in baptism. 
in churches like City Life that more typically would do immerse or believers baptism, what we would typically do is say, we, we dedicate children. In fact, we just had a, ba- a child dedication a few weeks ago. We dedicate children, and we say, as parents, we commit to raising this child in the ways of the church, and we r- will raise them to follow Jesus. And then later, when they're older, they would profess on their own their faith in Jesus through baptism. But, that's, but City Life recognizes all of it. If you've been baptized one way or another way, we receive all of those as legitimate good baptisms. You followed in the way of Jesus. You've had the baptism waters on you, and that's good. Something that is important is recognizing that baptism is essential to Christian life. It's expected by churches around the world, it's expected by Jesus, that if you are a follower of him, you will be baptized. There really isn't a category in scripture for people who follow Jesus but don't get baptized. And so I would challenge you, if if that is you, if you are in that space where you would say, I've given my life to Christ, but I haven't followed him in baptism, I would challenge you to to really listen to what the Lord may be speaking to you today and in in the next couple weeks. We will be having another baptism service the Sunday after Easter. I'm really looking forward to that. And it's an opportunity for you to follow Jesus in obedience. Jesus does call us to baptism. Jesus himself was baptized He taught his disciples to baptize the believers, and he told us to be baptized and to baptize other people. Baptism is a mark that we are part of God's family. It's an entrance into his church. It is a gateway into life with Christ. It's a sign and it's a commitment of surrender and resurrection. In fact, when we baptize people, we put people down into the water, and it's this picture of going down into the tomb and being buried in our sins. Our sins are being buried with Jesus. But we don't keep the people underwater, do we? We bring them back up again, and that's a picture of resurrecting from the dead, resurrecting into the new life that Jesus has for us. And all of this is done in the community of the church. We don't do baptisms privately or secretly. It's never meant to be something done just between you and God. Baptism has always meant to be done within the church. This leads me to a common misconception that people have and will be the focus of our study today, and it's that baptism is not meant to be just a personal, private experience. In the Bible, whenever people come to know Christ, they not only enter a relationship with the Savior, they also enter into a new relationship with the saved, with other Christians. They, bo- they go together in the scriptures. There's no indication in scripture that when people make a decision for Christ, there's just this individual thing between them and God. It's not just that. It's that plus it is an engagement and a connection with the body of Christ that is the church. Now that sounds fine until you start to think about what that means. Because let's have a real talk, church. I mean, let's have a real talk. Getting a group of very different people together, trying to do life together, is not always sweetness and sugar. Lots of amens. Because it can sometimes be hard and painful and really confusing. George Burns made this comment about family. He said, happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. (laughs) 
And some of us feel that way about church, right? Like, oh, I love the church as long as it's over there. (laughs) Because when you live together, when you do life together, when you do ministry together, when we try to sharpen each other in our spiritual lives, it can get complex. Now, I've never tried to hide that we're a quirky church. Uh, I kind of like that about us, actually. Uh, Pastor Josh, I've, I've warned you. I've warned you. We're a little quirky. And I think it's great. I think it's beautiful. I think we do awkward well. And I love that about our church. We, we kind of, we're kind of like, oh, yeah, that thing happened and no big deal. We just kind of roll with it. We have all sorts of stuff happen on Sunday mornings. The hospitality team just manages stuff. People, if you're sitting next to somebody else and something's happening, you just, you just handle it. We, we do well with that, and I hope that we'll continue to do that. I know we've had a lot of new people coming lately, and you're still getting to know the culture of the church and how we pick. This is what we do. Something awkward is going on next to you, you lean in. You help them. You see if they need anything. You help them out of the room if they need to get helped out of the room. You, you kind of just like, rise to the occasion and do what needs to be done. That's how we do stuff together. So I hope we can keep on being our own unique selves and that we can all find a place here. But sometimes the tensions go beyond just quirky and go beyond just awkward. And sometimes it moves to hard. Hard, painful things, offensive things. If you're going to have a real relationship with somebody, at some point you're probably going to feel offended. At some point you're probably going to feel hurt because that's real relationship. We get hurt and offended by God sometimes. Of course we're going to get hurt and offended by other people sometimes. This is what it looks like to have community together. And as I look at city life and who we are, who God has called us to be, who God is making us, who God is bringing into our community, we have a variety of multicultural dynamics at play. And I'm talking not just about racial and ethnic cultures, because we do have differences here. There are cultural norms, cultural preferences, cultural ways of seeing the world that seem normal to us, but definitely not to others. All of these things play into how we interpret looks and comments and conversations with people. But there's other kinds of cultures at play, too. There are differences in socioeconomic cultures. Some people have money, some people don't. Some people are used to living at a certain lifestyle, and some people aren't. When we figure out social events at church, we're always wrestling with, hey, does, does somebody have $20 to just go out to eat somewhere? Like, not everybody does. A lot of people don't in this church. So how do, how do we do stuff like that? When we had our roller skating party, we thank, by the way, thank you for that fundraiser. We had an awesome roller skating fundraiser. The youth group made a ton of money. Thank you so much for that. It's super helpful. But... But one of the things we were wrestling with was it costs $10 to go. And we don't usually charge that much for church events because a lot of people just can't do that. And so that was a tension of, okay, well, it's a fundraiser. We're kind of trying to figure this out. And then there were several of you that were like, hey, I'm just, I'm going to offer scholarships. And we made scholarships available. So there, th- there are tensions that, we, that, that just bring some awkwardness. Another, another tension would be uh, differences, a different culture in education. Some people in this church are educated, have maybe advanced degrees, by been educated at schools. Other people have been educated by life. And it's a whole other kind of knowledge and rich experience and ability. And often, these are conflicting cultures too. And so we've got lots of different types of people, lots of different types of relationships. You know, if you are in any sort of family or if you are living in a house or an apartment with roommates or housemates, 
you know how challenging it can be just to have relationships with like three or four other people living around you. Here we are trying to do this church thing, and Jesus is like, you're my body, and everybody all get together, and I'll have unity together, and I'll be one big happy family, and we're like, whoa, this is crazy. It's hard, and it's challenging. And it takes, to make unity happen, it takes a great degree of clear communication. It takes courageous conversations. Not just sitting back and saying, well, that's their thing, but courageous conversations, being willing to lean in. It takes personal education. I've got to learn some things. I've got to learn about some other people. And it takes a ton of grace and truth. Basically, it takes a really mature, holy Christian to make this thing work. And all of us are growing in the area. And so Jesus tells us that we are his body, that we are one, and we're supposed to figure out how to do this church life together. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. The Apostle Paul writes, The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. Let me pause right there. Give, give your arm a pat. You've got an arm, you've got a leg. Your arms and your legs are connected, right? That you're all one unit. You don't have a finger over there in the back corner of the sanctuary and your ankle over there behind the drum kit. You, you're all connected. You're all one body. You've got parts, but your body is one unit. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. Will you read this next line with me in verse 13? For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body. We are not baptized in a personal situation between God and me. We have all been baptized into the one body of Jesus together. Baptism connects you with both the Savior and the saved. These last two years have been crazy years for most of us, right? Pandemic, politics, sicknesses, quarantine. The impact of COVID, the impact of these two years has been hugely significant. American culture has changed. The job market is crazy. The e economics are crazy. People are, people are shifting jobs. People are moving houses. The housing market is crazy. People are, are figuring out, what do we do with the, the two, basically the two years of education that our kids kind of lost in the process and the two years of social opportunities and sports opportunities that they missed? We're, there's all this stuff we're, we're, we're catching up on. We're still feeling the impact of the massive changes and adjustments that collectively we have gone through as a nation. And I know I've shared this with you before, but a few months ago when I was talking with a group of young adults, 
I was asking them about the impact of quarantine on their lives, and they said, you know, it wasn't even really the quarantine so much. It, w- it was the political division. It was the, the broken relationships that we have with people in our families and mentors in our lives and people that we've looked up to where there were just such different polarizing opinions that were very strong, that were very divisive. And they said, more than, more than the quarantine, that's what's been hard. The election year, uh, that's the stuff that's been hard. And when I look at the American church and I read the statistics and I read about the impact of these last two years on the American church, the church is in a whole new place. The, the positive statistics, the encouraging statistics, say that if your church is doing well, your church has about 70% of its previous attendance. 30% is not coming back. That, that's where church is doing well. People have left churches in droves. People have shifted churches. Sometimes there are good reasons for things for sure, but it's, it's been a season of significant change, and it's been a season when a lot of people have just said, I'm done with church. I'll be connected to Christ, but I won't be connected to his body. There are a lot of reasons for this. I, I, think, I think COVID just revealed what was already happening in many ways. I think it just exacerbated that process. I do think there has been a reduced value for church community. In many cases, people have shifted from, from saying church matters to saying, well, I'm just going to focus on getting a lesson or a teaching. So I'm going to listen online to something and I'm going to gain some new information. I'm going to download intellectually new information for me to learn. But they've cut out the rubbing shoulders with people, the bumping elbows with people that happens when you're doing community in a more messy physical kind of way. We all know that when you're actually volunteering in a ministry, when you're holding babies, when you're serving with the youth group, when you're shaking hands, when you're playing an instrument, it's, you're bumping elbows with people and you're doing life on life. That's where the deeper conversations happen. That's where the spiritual maturity gets challenged and honed. That's where you begin to, if you, especially if you are a, mat- a, a Christian who's been around for a while, you have got to engage in ministry because it's the only way you will stay spiritually healthy. A- and when we reduce church to being just about learning information, we're missing out on, on the rest of the life. I think another thing that has happened is, is uh, people have said, well, I'm still a Christian, I just, I just don't do church. And they think that Christianity is all about a personal connection between them and God without being aware of the significance of relationships surrounding them. Jesus tells us we're part of his body. That means you, in and of yourself, are not a whole body. You need the rest of his body You are part of the rest of his body, and that is the way to do healthy and mature spiritual life. So I think where we are, in in many ways, is we're learning to be a community again. We're we're learning again, like, oh yeah, this is what it means to be with people. Oh, oh yes, this is, oh, I forgot, that's uh, a few bumps and bruises along the way. Oh, okay, yes, I remember now. But we're relearning how to do community together. We're relearning to accept the fact that Sometimes there are conflicts, and sometimes we need to work through them. I think it's a great time now to refresh on the foundations and to remember who we are and whose we are. Here we have spring celebration coming next Sunday. You've been challenged, you've been asked to reach out, invite people who aren't connected with Christ, and some of you know people who are in these situations. Probably most of us do. 
people who have said, I, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna disconnect from the body. Maybe people who have never had an opportunity to be part of church, they just Maybe they're completely unchurched, have never had that experience. Or maybe they're de-churched, formerly churched. And I believe that God wants to use you to do his work in the world. That you are his ministers. You are his hands and feet. You are his body. You are his mouthpiece. And he cares about those people. He loves those people. He deeply longs to be in relationship with them in a deeper and in a healthier way. And you are the body parts that are supposed to go and help make that happen. He's chosen to work through you to do that. So if you are a baptized Christian... You have been initiated into the unity of the church. Baptism shows us that we've not only entered a relationship with the Savior, but we've entered a relationship with the saved. So let's look at our key passage for today. It's Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. If you have your Bibles, open them up, otherwise it will be on the screen behind me. And the first question to address is, what does baptism teach us about unity? What, is, what does the baptized life have to do with unity at all? The, the question I keep asking in this series is, I want people to know that because they've been baptized, their life is different. So what is the baptized life? What does baptism teach us about unity? Galatians 3.26 says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.26 began, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God. We talked about this two weeks ago. You, as baptized people, you are adopted into God's family. He claims you. He gives you his name. Your identity becomes part of God's family. This means, when I read this verse and I see, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God. This means that not only are you adopted into God's family, but the other people around you who have also been baptized are also part of God's family, which leads to point A. Baptism means you have siblings. Baptism means you have siblings. So turn to somebody around you and say, hello, brother, hello, sister. Just like you have been baptized into this body, so other baptized people have been baptized into the body of Christ as well. And guess what? You get to be in heaven together. Baptism means you have siblings. Uh, Yesterday, Adam and I spent several um, truly glorious hours cell phone plan shopping. It's a fun experience, right? It's just delightful use of time. It's so much fun. But as we were exploring different cell phone options, we were figuring out, okay, what's good for, now we've got teenagers, and the last person's getting a phone, and how's it all going to work out? Uh, that was an amen from the 14-year-old who's going to be getting a phone. But as we're looking through plan options, they had an individual plan, and it's this much money, and then they had the family plan, and it's this much money. When it comes to the Christian life, church, there's no individual plan. There's only a family plan. 
the only plan being offered to you is the family plan. You are not eligible for the individual plan because that's not how God designed us to function. He designed us to be part of the family plan. Baptism means you have siblings. Sometimes siblings squabble. Galatians 3.26, so in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. Verse 27, for all of you who were baptized into Christ, and then it continues, have clothed yourselves with Christ. That first part of verse 27 says, all of you who were baptized into Christ. I'm, I'm paying attention to that phrase, baptized into Christ. Some of us act like when we get baptized, we're bringing a little bit of Jesus into us. That is not what baptism is. Baptism means when we get baptized, we die to self and Jesus takes over. Baptism means that we now become part of Christ, not he becomes part of us. It's who's joining whose family. Point number B, baptism tells you that you have now become part of Christ, not that Christ has become a little part of you. You didn't just add Jesus to your life when you got baptized. You gave total surrender to Jesus. That means you join him in his way, according to his house rules, according to his definition of how relationships go, according to his standards for how he wants his family to function, according to his truth, because only Jesus is truth. It is according to Jesus that we live. He becomes the standard. You have become part of him. It's not just you adding him to your life. For all of you who are baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. All of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So you go down into the water, you come up, and you've got the clothes of baptism on you. Say the word clothed. I think everybody here has clothes on right now. Think we're good? That's good? We do have... Boundaries are part of healthy relationships. And so to have healthy relationships in the church, we do have a boundary that you do need to have clothes on to be here. We'll help you if you don't. But you will have to get some. But if you're a baptized Christian, you've come into the space today wearing a different set of clothes. You've come in wearing the clothes of Christ. If you've been baptized you have been clothed in the baptismal waters. You are dressed in the clothes of Jesus. You're wearing his brand. We all wear the same clothes. Our, our clothing unites us. We wear the brand of Jesus, and it shows us that we belong, right? Because brands tell us that we belong. When I was in middle school, middle school is fraught with um, brand names, right? Yes. Fun times for people who don't have the money for that or people... Who, who aren't into that sort of thing. But middle school is full of brand names because it tells people if you belong or not. When I was in uh, eighth grade, we had Esprit bags in school. Anybody else remember these? Yeah? 
Hold up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all the girls had them. They were these big, not very practical bag, school bags. They had all sorts of colors, pink, lavender, yellow, white, black, and you had to define your identity by what color you got. But you had to have a bag in order to show that you belonged. It's the similar sort of thing with baptism. Everybody knows you belong because you've worn the clothes of baptism. You have been baptized into the body of Christ. Being clothed with Christ is more than wearing a cross necklace. It's more than wearing a Christian t-shirt. Those are fine. Nothing wrong with those things. But being clothed with Christ is more than that. It's not just an outward clothing. It's an inward clothing. And being clothed with Christ goes deeper than clothes. It's beneath the clothes. It's, it's like wearing the skin of Jesus. He says we're his body. And so we as baptized Christians walk around this earth as the hands of Jesus, as the feet of Jesus, as the mouthpiece of Jesus. And some of you are thinking, well, I, I don't do that. I don't do that very well. It, it doesn't matter if you do it poorly. Jesus says that's the reality. And the things that you say and the things that you do, the places you go or that you don't go, are ways that you are or are not manifesting the body of Christ on this earth. We so frequently disqualify ourselves, of us, ourselves from ministry because we, we know that we're not good enough. Jesus says, I know you're not good enough. I've given you my spirit. I've empowered you. Go do it. Jesus, that doesn't stop Jesus from sending us. That doesn't stop Jesus from using us. He knows we're inadequate more than we do. And yet he has called us and he said, you are my body. It gives me pleasure for you to be my church. It gives me joy for you to be my body on this earth. Baptized Christians, you've been baptized into me. You are my body. Letter C, baptism means we wear Jesus in everything we do. Where we go, we are representatives of the brand, representatives of Jesus. Baptism means you have siblings. Letter B, baptism tells you that you have now become part of Christ. Letter C, baptism means we wear Jesus in everything we do. And letter D, baptism leads us toward unity in diversity. This passage wraps up with verse 28 that says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So first, he lists issues of race, Jew or Gentile. He says, let's talk about race. And then he says, neither slave nor free. He talks about status. And then he talks about male or female. He says, let's talk about gender. And he says, this, this is a race distinction. It says that difference isn't a barrier to unity. And so what that means, body of Christ, is that Jesus has called us to be one body regardless of our differences and in joy and in celebration of our differences. And so that means that this church is a place where Americans and everybody else can worship together. It means that this is a space 
where Republicans and Democrats can be part of the same church because our primary allegiance is to Jesus first. And it's a space where conservatives and liberals can be part of our church because Jesus is our first priority first. This is what it means to be baptized into his body, not having him be part of our bodies, right? We're baptized into his body, so he gets his way. It, it means that unemployed and employed people can have community together because Jesus is our focus. It means that black people and white people and Hispanic people can have unity together despite our differences, despite sometimes the pain that is involved in that, because Jesus is who we are striving for first, and he brings us together as we pursue him. It means that Jesus brings together people in this church who smell good and people who don't smell good. It, it means that, it's, that we're in community with people who we find difficult to be in community with because our primary focus is Jesus. We are one in Christ. Your baptized brothers and sisters will be in eternity with you. Let's lean in to the riches of the life here on earth that Jesus can make available. Baptism says if you've been baptized, you are Christ's body. And all the body parts need each other to function fully. Baptism is a relationship with the Savior and with the saved. In the human body, what unifies the body parts? They, they don't connect the, the parts don't unify the body. My hand doesn't make my ankle stay connected. What connects all the parts of the body is the blood. The blood that the heart pumps, the blood that the heart sends down to our extremities and through our bodies, the blood that flows through our veins, the blood that flows through each and every one of the body parts, connecting them and warming them and uniting them into one living, breathing whole. We are the body of Christ. And it is the blood of Jesus that connects us all. The blood of Jesus that flows through all the parts of the body and unites us. It is because of his blood that we are reconciled with God and reconciled with each other. The blood of Jesus, because God so loved the world, and it is his blood that unites his body. We've been called to be one. Jesus prayed in his prayer before he was crucified on the cross. He prayed the prayer that all of his believers would be one, just as he and the Father are one. Jesus and the Father experienced a lot of unity, like really unusual unity. And he says, my prayer is that my followers would have that level of unity with each other. May it be so, Father. What do we do with this? We are imperfect people, struggling along, doing the best that we can. We can't be dismembered from the body. You can't have certain body parts just hanging off on one part of the sanctuary, another set of body parts hanging off back in the children's ministry area and, and never being connected with one another. You can't be dismembered from the body. You are a body part. And yet church unity doesn't just happen accidentally. I think that this message today is one of a challenge towards spiritual maturity 
And I think it's also a message that some need to hear that is a message of, of healing and hope. I think some need to hear a message of courage. I th- I, that relationship's just dead and gone. Well, is it? What does baptism teach us about unity? The second question is, how do baptized Christians act? Three points. How do baptized Christians act? Here's the first one. Baptized Christians don't run from conflict in church community. Baptized Christians don't run from conflict. Now, that doesn't mean like we love it and we try to have it whenever we can. But it means we've got some courage. When people who are married have a level of commitment to each other because a lot's at stake. They've made a covenant with each other, and so they work through stuff. They, they work harder at, at working through stuff than if you're just dating somebody. And it's appropriate that if you're married, you, you work harder and really try to see if you can make things work, right? If you're dating somebody, there's a lot more freedom. Now, some, of, some people have the wrong conception of dating, and they treat their dating partner as they would a married partner, and they have that kind of like married level sorts of investment. Uh, you just need to cut it off. Just cut off, break up, and move on. That's dating. Adam's laughing because we're all about like telling people to break up if they need to break up. Uh, but marriage, marriage is different. It's a different commitment. And in the baptized life, there's been, there's been a commitment, there's been a covenant, there's been a consecration. And so we, 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 we dig in a little bit more. We dig in a little more. Baptized Christians don't run from conflict in the church community. Miroslav Volf says, if we can, if we can exit a relationship, Pressure to reconcile lessons. If we must live with those who have wronged us, we are pushed to reconcile. Right? Colossians 3.13 challenges us, bear with each other, forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another, forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Church, I know conflict is complicated. I know I'm simplifying some things to some degree, but I do think that some here need to hear the message of courage. That perhaps it's a message of healing. That perhaps there's hope where you thought there wasn't. Perhaps you need to step up in maturity and quit avoiding conflict. Perhaps you need to be willing to look at yourself in a deeper way. Baptized Christians don't run from conflict. And and letter B, baptized Christians seek to reconcile with enemies, especially other Christians. What? Are you saying that I have an enemy who's maybe a Christian? Like, Christians can be my enemies? Sometimes. Sometimes. Baptized Christians seek to reconcile with enemies, especially other Christians. Jesus' instruction to love your enemies and to do do good to those who despitefully use you That's a core of Christianity right there. What do we do with that? I've been thinking a lot about the Apostle Paul and his conversion. And how many of you remember what what the Apostle Paul was doing before he met Christ and had his life radically changed? What was he doing? He was a religious leader who was against the Christians, and he was not only against the Christians, he was pursuing them to murder them. He was all about, let's, let's exterminate the Christians. And he believed, he, he had, in his mind, had convinced himself that he was following God by killing Christians. So then when God confronts him on the Damascus Road, and he, he is blinded by this vision of Jesus, 
he repents, and he turns his life to Christ. He gets baptized, and then you know what the first thing he does is? He goes to meet with a group of Christians. He goes to church. Now, just put yourself in the church's shoes for a minute. You're part of this church. You've been living in fear with this man that you keep hearing about because he's killing everybody. And everybody's like, watch out for Saul, like Paul. Watch, watch out for this guy because he's killing us. And then he comes and he's like, uh, I met Jesus. Can I be part of you? And they're like, um, maybe. <laughs> Is this real? Can we trust him? There's, there's, a, there's a trust that has to be built. There is a, restore, there's a relationship that needs to be developed. Jesus prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one. And I have a feeling that the disunity church that we have, especially with other Christians, grieves God's heart and harms our witness more than just about anything else. Matthew 5.23 gives us this challenge. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. This is saying if, if you're in the middle of a worship service and you're like, I'm not okay with a person. The scripture says, go, go, go make things right first and then, then come worship God. And honestly, if, if ever there's a time in church when you're in that situation and you need to walk out for that reason, do Perhaps this is a gentle nudge for some of you today. Perhaps it's an invitation to healing that needs to happen. Perhaps the Holy Spirit is tapping you, saying, I, I've, got, I've got goodness for you. Be courageous. Romans 12, 18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Take responsibility. It's we love to say it's everybody else's fault. Take responsibility. Live at peace with everyone. Baptized Christians seek to reconcile. Letter C, final point. Baptized Christians pursue unity with Jesus first. Can I have my guitar players come on up here, please? The point here is that as we pursue Jesus first, if we pursue unity between us and Jesus He's going to help order our relationships with other people. So we have up here JD on the acoustic guitar and Will on the electric guitar. And when instruments get together, for those of you who are not musical, they have to tune. Because if they don't get in the same, if they don't tune, then they're playing in slightly different keys. And even though it might sound okay, it's not going to sound quite right. And so tuning is the first thing that instrumentalists do before they get together and before, before they practice, before they start to play, before they did warm-ups this morning. And so, J.D., tell us a little bit about how you tune on your guitar. So you're the worship leader, so you had to kind of, like, lead the way in tuning. So it's like a built-in tuner, right? Yeah, okay. And you do like each string one at a time. Yep. So 
so, so JD is, is listening to the source, the source of truth that tells if he's in tune or not. Now, what would happen if Will tried to tune his guitar by listening to JD's guitar? So if Will, Will says, like, I know a lot about music, I'm just going to listen to what JD's doing, I'm going to do that. Well, it's, it's going to be close, but it's not going to be quite the same. Will has to go to the tuning source. So Will, how do you, how do you tune your guitar? You've got a system over there. That's how, that's how electric guitars do it. So, you, you so you're not plugged into the system now, but Will's over there playing different notes, and he's pressing pedals down with his feet on this foot pedal thing. And he's tuning by listening to the true source. As Will listens to the source of truth, and as JD listens to the source of truth, then they are in tune. If they depend on their own musical knowledge, or if they depend on their own ear, they're not going to be quite right. If they tune based, on each, based off of each other, they're not going to be quite right. But as they tune according to the source of truth, that's what brings them together in unity. Church, we've got a lot of people who are trying to do what's right, who are trying to find truth on their own without connecting to the source of truth. We pay attention to what other people sound like, and we try to tune according to other people. We try to tune according to our own knowledge and our own musical abilities and our own skills that we have. And Jesus says, tune to me first. Tune to me first. And as you tune to me and as they tune to me and as they tune to me, I will bring you together in unity. Baptized Christians pursue unity with Jesus first. This is not an excuse to not seek unity with other people. This is say, start here. You and Jesus, start here. That's step one. I believe that Jesus cares about our unity. He says we've been baptized into one body. He cares about it for some reason. He so longs for us to have the beauty of the body of Christ manifested. We're going to go forward in ministry city life. We're going to go forward. We're going to go to spring celebration next week. We're going to go forward into this post-COVID ministry engagement season. And, and we are going to have some great moments and we are going to have some hard moments. We're probably going to have conflict next week at spring celebration. Little bits, you know. But, but Jesus is working to bring us together. Jesus is working to unify us, to make us one. And there's nothing that pleases him more. Some of you need the hope today. You need hope that Jesus can bring healing to the relationships you thought were gone. I think probably a lot of us need courage. We need to mature, we need to rise up, and we need to say, I'm going to stop avoiding. I'm going to stop avoiding. I'm a baptized Christian. I'm a baptized daughter of Christ. I'm a baptized son of God. And I'm going to seek peace and pursue it. As we participate in communion today, we have this work of unity that was done on